Good morning. Open your Bibles to James chapter 4. James 4. If you don't have a traditional Bible but you want one, you can raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you that. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your smart device and open up the version or the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. Anyway, so glad that you chose to come out here. Maybe it's because I don't have any hair and I don't have anything to mess up. But so glad that you guys uh, chose to be a part of our family And so James, the brother of Jesus, I've gotten so much great feedback on this series that truthfully I wish I would have reserved more time for it. And actually next week I'm super excited that one of my favorite speakers, one of the greatest leaders I know is going to be here to actually finish out this series. And it is my bride, the beautiful Pastor Sunny. I can't wait to hear what she's going to bring about this. But today I want to attempt to cover James chapter 4 in its entirety. So let's get busy. I want to share with you a message called Finding God's Will. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you allow us to do and who you allow us to be. And so this morning, I pray that your word would come alive, that it wouldn't just be words on a page, but that it'll be change in our lives. God, I pray that when we leave here, we'll be less like us and more like you, and that we'll find your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder if you've ever... uh, question what God's will is for your life. I think that's evident in the fact that a few years ago, uh, a pastor in California wrote a book about God's purpose, and it sold about 50 million copies. And so I think most of us wonder, what is God's will for our life? We ask questions like, uh, what does he want me to do like right now? Or what is it that I'm supposed to be doing later? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What was I designed to do? Like you're sure that he has a will for you, but you just can't seem to find it. You're sure that he has a purpose for you, but you just can't seem to figure it out. It could be anything. There's a gamut of things that, that God's will encompasses. It could be everything from career choices to financial decisions, who to marry to whether or not we should have kids. Like, what does God want you to do with your life? That is the million-dollar question. And in 25 years of studying the will of God, I've come to a conclusion that it really breaks down into two pieces. And I want to show you those two pieces today, and then I want to try to apply those two pieces to the fourth chapter of the book of James, because everyone in this room has two purposes. First, we have a life-defining purpose, and a life-defining purpose is the thing that you'll be remembered for at your funeral, the thing that they'll talk about, the thing that, that people will share stories about. And sometimes that thing isn't appreciated until later in your life or sometimes even after your life. My pastor's sister, for example, her, her name was Mary, and my, my pastor's brother was a man named Mark Buntain. And for anybody who's in the Assemblies of God, they know who Mark Buntain is. Mark Buntain is a legend. He is the Michael Jordan of missionaries. He, he is like, he went to Calcutta, which is now Kolkata in India, and Mother Teresa led his funeral. Hello! That feels like that's an instant ticket into heaven. Somebody took your bus pass away. Mother, oh, Mother Teresa, bingo, he's in. This guy, over 100,000 people attended his funeral. I was like, are you kidding me? His brother, this is my pastor's brother. He's legendary. His sister, however, Mary, went on to become one of the greatest missionaries in the history 
of Africa. She, she literally got on a boat as a teenager and didn't know where the boat was going and just said, God, I'll go wherever this boat goes. And she landed in, in Africa with no contact. She knew no one, didn't know the language. And before she died, she translated the entire Bible into a dialect that had never heard of Jesus before. Yet, no one knew who she was. No one knew what she did, even the people in our church, and to her funeral. Life-defining purposes often sneak up on us and come out of a crisis. In February 2013, I, I, I was kind of having a crisis. Pastor Sonny and I had been here for about two months. The, the church was shrinking. <laughs> the money was shrinking. The weather was depressing. And uh, quite frankly, I was ready to cut bait. I was like, two months, this is long enough. I am out. But it was in that crisis that God spoke very clearly to me. He said, bro, burn the ships. Marry this city. Take this as your dirt. Give your life to the people of the 920. And sometimes the crisis is the very thing that God uses to reveal his life-defining purpose. That's the first purpose that we all have. Here's the second is every one of us in this room, we have a life-encompassing Purpose, And I get this from the book of Acts. And the book of Acts says, God began by making one person. And from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. God decided, watch this, exactly when and where those people must live. Think about that. Why do you live where you live when you live? Why were you born in this century rather than two or three centuries ago? The, the answer to that is because it is the will of God. Because the scriptures go on to say, so that they may come to know Jesus. God has a plan for you that fits into the grand scheme of somebody coming to Jesus. That God designed you to be born where you were born, when you were born. Because he designed you to interact with somebody else who would be born where they were born, when they were born. So that the two of you could intersect and so that you could share Jesus with them. That is all of our life-encompassing purpose. It's to live out the purposes of God. Most people, though, spend so much time looking for their life-defining purpose that they totally miss their life-encompassing purpose. So in the fourth chapter of the book of James, there are 17 verses that are broken down into three segments that are three different aspects of the will of God, and those things relate to every single person in there. And so out of that, I want to give you today three things that you can do every day to find the will of God for your life. And I'm going to give them to you as the ABCs of God's will. Here's the first. If you want to know the will of God for your life every day, you have to acknowledge the fact that you need help. You cannot do this on your own. When I say that, that bristles some people. And the reason why that bristles some people is because asking for help totally goes against our cultural norm. In our culture, we have developed this opinion that we don't need anything or or anyone, especially in North America. In North America, my dad calls it the bootstrap mentality. You know what I'm talking about? That in America, we have just determined that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We came in here into this undeveloped, made something out of nothing, skyscrapers and technology. We don't, we don't need anything or anyone. But then James comes along and he calls our bluff. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? 
Don't they, what is they, fights and quarrels, come from your desires that battle inside of you. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. <laughs> Pause, hold up. You kill? These are church people. If you've been here, you understand what the context of this is. But if you're just like dropping in on episode five of this series that we've been in, this is a book, the book of James. The reason that we call it James the brother of Jesus is it was written by the earthly brother of Jesus who was also a pastor of a great church in the city of Jerusalem. And so James was writing this book to his church as well as to all of the Jewish people that were dispersed all around the world. And he was writing this book as a common sense way for his church people and all of the people who were the Jewish people dispersed who should have known how they were supposed to be acting. And so James says, you don't get what you want, and so you kill, pause, you covet. And what that means is that, is that I want what you have, and I don't want you to have what you have. He says, so you kill and you covet, but you cannot get you what you want. And so you quarrel and you fight, which doesn't sound like a life-giving church, but it does sound like a lot of people we know. I mean, it doesn't sound like you. It doesn't sound like any of you. It doesn't sound like anybody who comes to life church, but it sounds like people uh, who we know, like, like people who look great on the outside, but secretly on the inside, they have this desire for more. More money, more status, more respect, more affection. And oftentimes that desire leads to quarrels and fights. It leads to killing our relationships and the reputations of others because of our coveting and because of our comparing. And our coveting and comparing is sucking the life of it out of us. We're, we're coveting each other's jobs and status, each other's spouses and success. And so James tells his church and us, rather than saying, I want his stuff or I want her stuff, what we ought to be asking is for God to give us his stuff for our lives. Pastor James goes on to say, even that hasn't been working for you. Check this out. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Here's the problem. We're in love with the wrong things. We're in love with the things of the world rather than being in love with the things of God. And, and we all get deceived into this. Every one of us, you, me, everyone you know, we think that the things we want are good. Otherwise, we wouldn't want them. <laughs> like, like uh, remember, remember when your kids were little and, and you had to ha uh, put locks on everything? You had to put locks on the doors. You had to put, uh, you had to put the little uh, plastic, you know, the little the little thing that makes every husband mad. He trying to get in. How does this, and, and wife comes along. <laughs> and it's like you put stuff on the doors, you put stuff on the drawers, you have to kid-proof your whole house. And sometimes your kids will come along and they'll, they'll try to open something. And while they're trying to open it and it won't open, they'll look at you like, help me without knowing you're the one that put the locks on the door or on the drawer because you know 
the danger. You know the death that sits inside of those drawers. And it is the same with God. God loves us too much to let us keep getting into stuff that's killing us. And so he puts locks on the doors that we're trying to open. And you're saying, God, open this or God, open that. And God's saying, bro, I can't do that. Because if I do that, you'll hurt yourself or, or it'll kill you. And to you, it appears that the God of the universe is opposing you. But in truth, he's protecting you. And so James goes on and he says, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud. Not because God hates prideful people, but because he hates what pride does in people. And so he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when life gets hard, it might be a sign to you that you need to humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And so James goes on and he says, give yourselves completely to God. Whether you know it or not, you desperately need God's help every day of your life. So come close to God and God will come close to you Wash your hands, purify your hearts, because your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And a lot of us could handle a very healthy dose of humility, because we get so mad when we don't get enough honor. But what's interesting is God doesn't tell us to chase honor. He tells us to chase humility. And if you'll chase humility, you'll get honor. But if you chase honor, you're going to get some humility. <laughs> Here's the second thing you can do every day to find the will of God is believe the best about everyone who you meet. Everyone. Your spouse. Some of y'all need to start believing the best about your spouse. Your marriage isn't what it needs to be because you're inflecting your own insecurities on the person you should be inflecting your strengths upon. You need to believe the best about your spouse. Believe the best about your kids. Believe the best about that difficult coworker, your difficult neighbor. Refuse to judge or be critical. Are you going to get burned if you live your life that way? Absolutely. From time to time, people are going to tear you up. From time to time, you're going to put trust in people, and they're going to stab you right in the back like they've got a shiv, and they're shaking you. Ta -ta -ta -ta, so quick, you didn't even know that you're going to bleed out. Like you did. Wait a minute. I feel warm in my back. And it was like somebody just betrayed you so quick. But, but could I just be honest with you? Most of the time, you're not going to get betrayed. More often than not, you're going to be wrong about people. Like, like, you should believe the best about people. Why? Let me tell you why. Three reasons why we should believe the best about people. Number one, it's not your responsibility to judge others. You know, stress is the inevitable result when you take responsibility for something you have no authority over. Hello? Let me say that again, because I'm pretty sure y'all didn't hear what I just said. Stress is the inevitable result when you try to take responsibility for something you have no authority over. You ever have somebody else's kids drive you crazy? And you're in your mind about shut up. Shut, shut up. That's when you know a parent's mad, when they got the up. They got when they had the pot. Shut 
your mouth. Like when and the kid is tripping, they're going crazy, and you try to discipline, and you think about the person, like, I wish, I wish I could discipline them. I wish I could teach them how to parent. But when you just let that roll, just ignore it. Like, it, why? Why are you bugging about that? Why? Like, all it's doing is causing stress in your life. That, that kid is not your responsibility. God didn't give you authority over that kid. And he didn't give you authority over your coworker. And he didn't give you authority over your neighbor. He, he gave you responsibility, but not authority. He gave you a responsibility to pray for them and to love them and to accept them. This is what James says. He says, don't speak evil against each other. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So, so what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Here's what he's saying. Some of you need to resign your position as the general manager of the universe and let God just be God. Stop trying to control everything and everyone. It is exhausting to you and to everyone who knows you. Here's another reason to believe the best about people is when you judge others, you're wrong most of the time. And here's why. Because rather than judging people's actions, we generally judge people's motives. But most people don't base their reactions on their, their, their actions. Like most of us actually base what we do on our feelings. Like you have a physical feeling. Like, uh, like how am I feeling right now? Like maybe you're acting because you're worried. You, a couple years ago, I had a spot on my head and I was convinced that it was cancer. And, and I would touch it. And I would rub it, and I would try to look at it in the mirror. wasn't nothing that I could see, but I could feel it. I just, I just knew I had cancer. I just, I just knew I was going to die with a big old hole in my head that couldn't be covered up by hair because hair went on protest years ago. And so I would walk around, and I'd be doing this all the time. And some would be like, why are you rubbing your head? I'm just itchy. And so I went to the dermatologist on my own, and I said to the dermatologist, I need you to help me because I got cancer. To which I wondered if the dermatologist was like, why are you here then? I'm just here to clear up acne. You know, just like, can I, like, what, if you got a sit on your head, I'm the right lady for you. But the cancer? And so she looked at it and she did the thing and she said, oh, no, you just have a clogged pore in your head. And I said, all this stuff, I didn't worked up all this stuff that I had cancer. And so sometimes I would be thinking about that rather than treating people the way that I should be treating people, I would be feeling a certain way. Or people, they look at their relational feelings and that's how they base their actions. Like, how are my relationships right now? Maybe, maybe their marriage is messed up or, or maybe they just had a big fight with their kids and they regret it. Maybe their, their daughter came home from college and, and she left back to school and they had conflict between them. And you just happen to roll up on, on them when they had just come off of that. And so they're basing their feelings on the relationships or, or uh, their circumstantial feelings that people have, like what's happening in my life right now. Maybe their job is in jeopardy or, or, or maybe there's uh, a financial stress that's happening. In their, maybe their car is broke down and now they can't get to work. And so they're like, they're stressed out about that. And when you came along, they were dealing with one of those things, but we tend to disregard the fact that anybody else ever goes through those things. And so we judge people on the things that they do rather than on the way that they feel. And so because the way that they react to us or the way that they respond to us, we say things like, well, that person's so rude or that person is so stuck up or that person is so aloof when maybe they just don't feel well. And so the best thing that you can do is believe 
the best. I love how 1 Corinthians says this in the message paraphrase. It says, don't get ahead of the master and jump to conclusions with your judgments before all the evidence is in. When he comes, he'll bring out in the open and in the place of evidence all kinds of things that we never even dreamt of. Inner motives and purposes and prayers. Only then will any one of us get to hear the well done of God. How about we reserve judgment until we hear that? Here's the third reason to believe the best about people is when you believe the best, it allows you to engage in the law of reciprocity. When someone does something nice for you, we all have a deeply, unless we're crazy, we all have a deeply rooted psychological urge to do something nice in return. Let me give you an example. Go anywhere where there's a double set of entrance doors. And when you open the first door for someone, guess what almost always happens? They open the second door for you. And usually they make a cheesy comment. They'd be like, ha, 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 after you. Yeah, and it's like, when did you become British? That's so weird. After you, sir, my liege. You're like, why did you, she's weird about it. Like, let's just open the door or walk in yourself. If you're gonna make it awkward, I didn't really, I can open my own door. But if you open a door for someone, they're almost always gonna try to open the next door for you because it's called the law of reciprocity. And Jesus said it like this. He said, don't judge others and you won't be judged. Don't condemn others or it'll come back against you. Forgive others and you'll be forgiven. Watch this. Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make more room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And it applies to everything because our actions have a boomerang effect. Whatever we do comes back at an even greater rate of velocity. When you give or you forgive, you are going to get back more than you invested, but it also works in the negative. Jesus said, if you fail to believe the best or choose to be critical, if you choose to be judgmental, you're going to find people being even more critical of you. If you are surrounded by critical people, if you are surrounded by negative people, you have to ask yourself, what seed have I been sowing? So how do we find the will of God? A, we acknowledge the fact that you need help. B, believe the best about everyone we meet. And C, consult with God before you do anything. Have you ever made a decision that looked good in the moment, but you later regretted it? Uh, don't elbow your spouse. <laughs> Let me give you an example. Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne. You, maybe you've heard of old Ron, but, but you probably haven't because uh, Ronald Wayne is one of the co-founders of Apple. Most people think about the two Steves, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, but there actually was a third guy, and his name was Ronald Wayne. And Ronald Wayne actually put up the first money. He, he put up $1,500 in exchange for a 10% share in Apple. Uh, but it didn't take him long to realize that Steve Jobs was a visionary maniac, and so he got nervous about his money. And so a few weeks into it, he sold his 10% share back to Apple for $2,300. Now, it was a nice 65% gain on his money. Let me put it like this. He had a net profit of $800. But if homeboy would have held on until today, his $1,500 would be worth $73 billion. Can you say timing is everything? <laughs> Look how James said it, though. 
Now I have a word for you who brashly announced on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And now I have a word for you who brashly announced today at the latest tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business, make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Circle that if you got a real Bible. Put a star around it. Like you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Isn't that a great description of our lives? Instead, make it a habit to say this. If the master wills it, if we're still alive, we'll do this or we'll do that. God's will for you is for you to consult him before you do anything. So here's a good question to ask yourself when you're making a decision. Will this honor God? And if you can learn to ask that question over and over again, you'll be able to stay in the center of God's will no matter what the decision. Financial decisions, is this the will of God? Does this honor him? Relational decisions, emotional decisions, will this honor God? How about fashion decisions? Hello? <laughs> Rather than asking yourself, ooh, does this make me look hot? Ask yourself, will this honor God? Lots of ladies just got quiet too, didn't you? Can I tell you, there's only two sets of cheeks I need to see on you, and they ain't the ones on the bottom, they're the ones on the top. I'm just saying, I've seen enough cheeks to last me a lifetime that I don't care if it's 2019 or 2029. You have to ask yourself when you go out the house, not does this make my belly look small, does this honor God? And so James 4 has some warnings, not because God's a cosmic killjoy, but because he wants the best for you. He knows if you ask for his help every day, if you humble yourself every day, he is going to take great delight in lavishing his grace upon you. If you'll believe the best about everybody, it'll lower your stress level and it'll bring out the best in you and in others. He knows if you'll consult him first in every decision, he'll be able to lead you on the paths that are going to result in your ultimate good. Or as Proverbs 3 says, if you'll trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, if all, in all your ways you'll acknowledge him, he will make your paths straight. Do not be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn from evil. I love how Jesus says it in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But the Heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God. Live righteously. And he'll give you everything you need. What if we all did that? What if we all asked God first, believed the best about each other, and consulted him before every decision. Wouldn't our lives be better? I mean, beyond us, wouldn't the whole world be better? I wonder, could you do that today? More importantly, I wonder, will you do that today? Will you close your eyes all across this place? Just seek him. You could base your whole life on one scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Do you know that that's the the essence of salvation? The essence of salvation is seeking first the kingdom of God. And maybe you're here and you haven't done that. Maybe you're here and, and you haven't partaken in what the church world calls salvation. Salvation really is just a church word for rescuing. Maybe you're here and you need to be rescued. Your life is spiraling out of control and you've tried everything else. And Jesus says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe it in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he will rescue you. So I wonder if you're here and you say, I need to do that. 
This morning, we're going to give opportunity for people to be rescued, people to be saved. And here's how. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. I'm going to ask people to confess, and I'm going to ask people to profess. Here's, Here's what that means. We're going to ask you to confess that you are a sinner. That just means you're wrong. And then we're going to ask you to profess that Jesus is Lord and can change you. So in just a moment, we're going to give people an opportunity to confess with every head bowed and every eye closed by doing something really simple, raising their hand and making eye contact with me. So if you're here, you say, Sean, like I I need to confess that I'm a sinner. In just a minute, we're going to give you a chance to do that. And then after that, we're going to give you an opportunity to profess that Jesus is Lord. And here's how. Is everybody in here is going to pray a prayer after me. And if you believe it in your heart, Scripture says you will be saved. So this morning, if you're here and you say, Sean, I am a sinner. I need to be rescued, and I want to receive Jesus into my life with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thanks, thanks, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Miss anybody? Thank you. Thanks, thanks. Okay, going once. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus. I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please change me. Come into my life. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, would you do us one favor? Take the hello card that's in the seat back in front of you. Tear off the bottom part. Fill out whatever information you're okay with us having. Check the box that is highlighted in yellow that says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Either put it in the black buckets when they come around here in a minute, or you can take it out to the Welcome Center. Either way, we just want the opportunity to pray for you. At the Welcome Center, we do have a packet for you. Inside that, there is a three-month devotional where every day there's a scripture reading, there's a little writing. I try to do this with my kids every day on the way to school just so I can get just a little Jesus in us before we face the real world. But in there also is a CD. It's called What Now? And it's a 12-minute presentation that'll help you to determine what the next logical steps are in your Jesus journey. So we would love the opportunity for you to have that. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave yet. we got a couple things left to do. But I wonder if you're here and you'd say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but I've been having a hard time finding God's will for my life. And I would like for you to pray for me that I would find that. If that's you, would you just raise your hand in this place and let me pray for you? Man, so many people. So God, today I pray for your purpose. God, that you would just like fester it up to the surface, God, that that in this place it would become so evident, not just who we are, but who you are and how those two things fit together. So God, today reveal yourself, reveal your spirit, reveal your will in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.